Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. If there is one thing that I am confident after 44 years is that I cannot be confident about what will happen in the next 44 years. Um, I can't even be confident what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, Solomon, he searched for meaning. He searched for satisfaction. And he made it very clear that life is unpredictable. Life is mysterious. Things do not go as you plan for them to go. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. Good things sometimes happen to bad people. So how do you live in a confusing world like that? Um, and we're going to get to some of the conclusions here. We're coming down to the end of this, and we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 today. But how do you live in a world that is so confusing and you don't know what's going to happen next? You, the, the answer is you just keep doing what God says to do because it's the right thing to do. Not because you see a results or you see a lack of results. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. We live by faith, not by sight. Evil is not recompensed in a day. And good is not rewarded in a day. So, what, so we do the right things and we let the chips fall where they may. We do what is wise. And I think that's what we're going to see here today. Yes, enjoy the day. That's certainly what Solomon has said, but do what is wise. Do what is wise. You know, the word they use in sports for what we're going to talk about today is poise. I like that word. When the pressure is all around you and you're playing the sport and the, I mean, the crowd is watching, the people are cheering and some are jeering and the, you know, the players are yelling and all the pressure is on you in that one moment. What you do is, when you're shaking in your boots, you stay poised and you just do what you've practiced a hundred times before. You just do the exact same thing you know is right to do. You, you know the fundamentals, just do it. And in an upside down world, that's what we do. We, are, we need to be wise. We stay poised. We keep doing what we know to do, no matter what it looks like around us. And so here, as we get to the final conclusion in the next two chapters after this, 11 and 12, Solomon takes a minute now to contrast wisdom and folly. Folly is foolishness. And so he kind of just throws out a bunch of information about wisdom and foolishness, and we're going to run through these, and they are so powerful. I wish we could spend more time on each one, but we're going we're gonna to show how foolishness is never, ever a good idea. Even if it looks like the foolish people are winning in the moment, it's never, ever a good idea. So here, number one, we're going to see wisdom undervalued. We're going to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and finish out this chapter and then go to chapter 10. So Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 13 through 15. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, 
delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Everyone get that? A poor wise man somehow saved the city without anyone dying. I mean, he literally saved the city somehow. We don't know all the details. But through his wisdom, he saved the entire city. But then, nobody remembered him. And isn't that just how the world works? That's what we're saying. (laughs) You do something great and everybody forgets. Verse 16, Then said I, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. This is something that Solomon marveled at here, he said in verse 13, this, this seems great unto me. This, is, this is, baffles me. Perhaps he, w- you know, he was thinking of an actual specific situation that he knew about where this situ- thing happened. A poor man who showed tremendous wisdom saved the whole city, but in the end, it, people forgot and quickly moved on with their lives. But the point here is that he's trying to make is people undervalue wisdom. And I would add that they overvalue wealth and popularity. Because this man maybe was poor, he was overlooked, and he was not remembered. But his wisdom still is better than strength. You know, like Joseph in prison. He interprets the dream for the baker and the butler, and the butler goes and then is able to stand before the king, and as he's going out, Joseph says, hey, please remember me when you're there before the, the king. And it took Two years, the butler forgot about him for two years. The man that just gave him so much wisdom. Or Jesus, when he came into the one place there and there was a demon-possessed man. And uh, he confronts him and he's crazy out of his mind and Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff. And this man is now completely transformed. His whole future has changed. This is a new man. He won't won't, uh, hurt the community anymore. But what do the people do? They get angry at Jesus and demand that he leaves town. This is just a fact of life. Humans are hyper self-focused. And we we only think about ourselves and we forget when when wisdom happens for us. You know, just as a reminder for everybody, I think we already probably know this, but we need to be reminded, don't expect people to be patting you on the back when you have your, when your brilliant actions around Uh, around work, save the company, or you do something great at work, or you help your friend turn their life around, or you say something great. Uh, Don't expect people to be patting you on the back. But knowing that, that wisdom is not always appreciated, wisdom, Solomon says, is still better than strength. It's still incredibly powerful. It can literally, wisdom can literally save people from destruction. One word of wisdom can transform a person. It can save an entire city, as we saw here. Solomon says wisdom is better than strength. And one wise idea can keep a nation from going to war or help win a war. It's always better. The point here is it's always, always, always better to do the wise thing and not worry about the praise of man. And then Solomon talks about, number two, wisdom respected, verse 17. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Perhaps he's referring back to this wise man's poor act- or wise man's actions here the, uh, that we, he just talked about. The point is, if you want your wisdom, though, to, to make the most difference in the world, you want it to be heard by people, then say it in a calm and controlled manner and in private. The words of a wise man are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. 
then your wisdom will be better received. Be calm, be collected. Someone who's shouting in anger or is overly emotional to get his point across just eventually will sound like a raging lunatic. If you have something good to say, if you have something wise to say, and if you want to deliver wisdom in the best possible way, do it in a calm and controlled manner. This is great wisdom for all of life, by the way, every, whether we're at work or anywhere we are, but I just want to remind us parents, this is so such a key for our parenting. How and when we say something is just as important as what we say. Uh, the tone in our voice tells our family and our children whether we still love them uh, or not. And then that leads, so we, we may have a lot of wisdom, but if we share it in the wrong way, uh, we lose all of what we're trying to say. And that leads to number three here, and that is wisdom destroyed. Look at verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Now again, probably still referring back to that story, wisdom can do far more for a nation than having a huge arsenal of weapons. I mean, you think about it. If you've got wise people in the war room giving counsel to the president when he makes a decision about war, it will make a tremendous difference in the conflict. You want to surround yourself with the most wise and best people. You may not, have, uh, you may not even have to use big weapons of war. You, you may avoid all kinds of deaths if you have just one wise solution to a problem. And this is why, again, when we talk about even ourselves, it is so important to surround ourselves with the most biblically-minded counselors you can find. Who are you listening to? Who are the people in your close circle that you have ears open to? You know, I, I think I've told my wife many times uh, before I thank her for the counsel she gives me, but I, 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 I need you to be keep being in the Word as you already are every single day. The more you're in the Word of God, I can trust her godly counsel. And I do. But this verse says all it takes is one sinner with an evil heart to come along and undermine all the good. Look what it says. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner... One sinner destroyeth much good. You listen to that one friend at work. You listen to that one family member who doesn't allow, who won't follow God's ways, who won't listen to God, and watch out. It just takes one person. The following verse goes right along with that theme, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1. Now, remember, chapter divisions in the Bible uh, were not put in there by God. This was something that translators did later on to help with understanding. Here, you know, maybe they shouldn't have made a break right at this point, but no one asked me back then. <laughs> uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Oh, and so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. When you first read that, you scratch your head. What's he talking about? The idea here is the the apothecary gets all these rare and expensive oils and starts to mix them all and creates this delightful perfume. And everybody is just, man, this is, this is wonderful. This is a delightful ointment. But if, dead, if you get flies or insects in that ointment and they die in there, pretty soon that ointment becomes rancid and stinky. And the obvious point he's trying to make here, again, is you can take a person with a great reputation for wisdom. And if they begin to do foolish things, even though they may be small, 
it will stink up their reputation that they've built. You know, we've seen this far too often as Christian leaders go down, and it grieves our hearts. Somebody who has so much wisdom, so much to offer, so much knowledge of the Word of God, and then, because of some foolish actions, even just maybe a few foolish actions, but whatever it may be, it begins to stink up the reputation that they've built. And a little folly can cause a wise person's life to stink. It's the little sand in the shoe that can take us out of the race. Then Solomon moves to number four, and that is wisdom pursued. Look at verse number two. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. A couple disclaimers here. First, this is not a political verse. <laughs> or is it? Uh, Rusty, uh, he's not here this morning, but Rusty sent this a while back, <laughs> reminding us that, you know, there, this might have a political leaning here. A wise, man, a wise man's heart is at the right, and a fool's is at the left. But, it's, uh, but second, the other disclaimer is Solomon is not sinisterphobic. That is, he's not afraid of left-handed people. So apologies to all the left-handed people here. But the right hand back then was considered strong and resourceful. In the Bible, the right hand it talks about the God's right hand. And whenever it refers to the right hand, it's usually speaking of strength and blessing and authority. But the left was considered weak, and it's our weaker hand, and it's backwards. It's, going the, it's the wrong, wrong thing. It's the wrong direction. But notice that this verse really is about the heart. The heart. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. The point here is, he's talking about the direction of your heart. A wise person's heart is headed in the right direction. A fool's heart is headed in the wrong direction. The question here is, which way is your heart headed? Are you getting closer to the Lord or are you going further away? Is your heart becoming stronger or weaker? Where are you headed? You know, we, God knows that we're not going to be perfect in our life. We're not every single day, every single moment going to be perfect. However, he is, tr he is really looking at our heart. Which direction is your heart headed? Because where your heart is headed, your actions will soon follow. Sometimes, you know, you want to tell people, you see a young person doing some things, and those uh, who've been around and seen people, seen people's actions, you can see the beginning stages. You can see the direction a person is beginning to turn. And you can see those beginning stages, maybe because we were there once too. And we look at that and we say, I wish I could tell them. I wish I could tell them. And maybe you might even try to say something. But let me just remind all of us, they won't change until their heart begins to go in the other direction. It's the heart. It's a heart issue. As we like to say, and we're reminded all the time, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And it really, truly is. And when you don't pursue wisdom, look what happens. Verse 3, Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. A fool is headed in a, a direction, he just doesn't know which direction. That's what this is saying. He's walking, but he has no wisdom. He doesn't know where he's going. He has no idea what he's pursuing in life. He has no idea where he's going. He, he's just living life clueless. He's kind of living out there, but what, what, what am I even doing here? Where, where, where is the actual end goal of all this life? He walks by the way, and he talks like he knows what he's doing, but wisdom fails him. His actions then say to everybody, as it says at the end of this verse, that he is a fool. 
And everybody knows it except him. He's the only one that seems to be unaware that he is acting foolishly. Folly is a horrible trap. And we don't even know that we're in it. It's even more horrible when a person is a leader and they are foolish. That's why we look at next, especially a national leader. This is wisdom rejected. Look at verse four. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. What do you do when you have a foolish and an angry leader who seems to be coming against you? This verse says, if that's the case, do, don't leave your place or don't leave your post. Don't leave, just yield. Leave not your place, yielding pacifieth great offenses. Just yield, submit, do the right thing, and your good attitude in, with that leader will pacify great offenses. A great, a great example of that, of course, in the Bible is David when he was in the cave and Saul came into the cave. All of his cohorts said, David, look at what God has provided. <laughs> a moment to kill your enemy. This is from the Lord. Kill, kill Saul. That, how's your channel? We'll help you out. In fact, you don't even have to get your hands dirty. We'll take care of it. And David said, uh, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to do the right thing. No matter what it looks like, no matter what you think, I'm going to do the right thing. And when they came out, this brought such conviction on Saul when he found out, and the words of Saul was this, David, thou art more righteous than I. There was just something about this moment that got a hold of Saul. A wife with an angry husband can do this. An employee with an angry boss can do this. A citizen with a wicked government can do this. Whoa. We can yield, submit, just do the right thing, follow the Lord, do what's right, and it will pacify, it will quite, yielding pacifieth great offenses. Trust the power of yielding. Trust the power of just doing what God says. Uh, but, now having said that, Solomon admits that governmental powers can get crazy. Look at verse five. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low place. Mark Twain said once, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure what happens when some of these people get into power. I really don't understand it. But they start doing ridiculous things. I mean, idiotic things. Solomon says, Sometimes the ruler will set foolish people in high positions. That is, folly will be set in great dignity. You'll get this foolish idiot that will be set above everybody. And the rich will be set in, low, in the low place. Now that might sound good that the rich are in a low place, but in context here it means that the people with financial resources to actually do something and help people and have, uh, have something to offer aren't able to have the power to use them for public good. Now we know the government is put here by God for two primary purposes, scripture tells us, to punish evil and to reward good. That is their job, that is what a government is supposed to do. But I think we all can agree, 
in pretty much every government, things get so twisted in this world. They, are not, they go far beyond that. They twist everything up, and it gets confused. It gets backwards. I cannot understand how some people are voted into their positions. I don't know if you read about it this week, but you saw, I think it was a school board president in Pennsylvania, this lady who was sworn in, and when she was sworn in as the school board president, they put a sexually explicit book. She want, that's, that's what she wanted to be sworn in under. This is the person who is now set up as the leader. She's going to be leading while you know, we all know there are so many better people in Pennsylvania that could do that job. And we say, why? Why, why, why does she get that top position? It's horrible. And Solomon says, I've noticed that, and it's a horrible thing. He continues, verse 7, I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. This is what a foolish ruler will do. They will treat unqualified people well, and they will treat the rightful, wise dignitaries with disrespect. It's like a young leader who comes in and who listens to his cronies more than the old, wise counselors. And the idea here is when foolish people lead and wisdom is rejected, you can count on then backwards things happening. Like people calling good evil and evil good. So when one of those people is lifted up, you can count on it. Pretty soon, things are going to get so twisted and brains and minds are going to get wacky. And what happens next after, that wi- after true good wisdom is rejected? Look at verses 8 and 9. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. In other words, if you act foolishly, you can expect consequences. That's what this seems to be saying. When a fool digs a pit, he falls into it. When a fool breaks down a stone fence, you know, those, they had stone fences back then, you begin to break it down, kick it down. Well, guess what, Mr. Fool? As soon as you push over that wall, there's a snake under there and he's going to bite you. When a fool removes stones from a quarry, he, they're going to fall on him, he's going to get hurt. When a fool chops wood, or cleaveth wood, or chops wood, he, he puts himself in danger with every swing. He's just a fool. But the point that we're going to see now is if you are wise, though, and you do those very things, you'll do them a little differently. And, and you'll do it, and you'll avoid so many more dangers in life. Uh, look what Solomon shows here by using those same analogies. This is wisdom practiced. Verse 10. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, or sharpen the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. So uh, let me explain it this way. Chopping wood, all my family knows, chopping wood is my favorite chore. I love it. I love it. I really enjoy getting out in the cold and swinging that ax or the mall. And I just, that's, I'd rather do that maybe because I'm, you know, looking at, I think of the devil's face right there as I'm swinging. I don't know. But I enjoy it. But, but, but frankly, too often I do what this verse says. The, the, uh, the axe is not sharpened, and I haven't taken the time to sharpen it, and so, therefore, I have to put more strength into chopping the wood. And it, the reason I don't go sharpen it beforehand is because I'm lazy, frankly. And then I put more strength into chopping, and then my back goes out. And that's what this verse is saying. A wise woodcutter, 
there's a difference. Wise woodcutter and a foolish woodcutter. A wise one will go beforehand and sharpen his axe, and it'll be easier and better. Wisdom, as it says here in the end, is profitable to direct. That means profitable for success. Wisdom is profitable for success. When someone is wise, they think ahead. They use their brain. They make the better choices in life, especially in the important things. This applies to relationships. How a wise person does relationships and how a fool does relationships are far different, and they're way different results. This is, uh, you apply this to marriage. You apply this to our ministry. You apply this to your finances. You use God's wisdom in your finances, that, and a fool uh, uses his brains for finances, you're gonna end up at two very, very different places. Wisdom is profitable for, for success in all of these areas. Bad things still might happen to the wise person, but wisdom keeps you from bringing them on yourself. And that's the idea here. This is why we need the word of God so much. And the word of God has principles and wisdom for every area of our life. And the more we're tied in, the more we're tuned into what he says, the better choices we're gonna make in life. And he gives one more analogy on this, and I like this one. Verse 11, surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. If a snake charmer is out there, and he's, you know, I've, I've never seen one in real life. I'd love to watch one of these guys. It's a little strange, but the, if, if a snake charmer is out there, and he brings out the, the snake too soon, before he has had a chance to train, uh, train the snake, what's going to happen? That, that snake's going to bite him. And not only would he get a snake bite and then cause severe injury or death, but also the, in, the last phrase there, a babbler is no better, it means the owner of that snake is no better off, meaning he doesn't get any profit from the show. <laughs> if, he's, if he's getting bit because he didn't take the time to train and work on it ahead of time, he's no better off. If we want success in this life then, be we we need to be wise, we need to follow God's word, we need to plan, we need to pray, we need to seek wise counsel, and then make the best wise choice that we possibly can. It's just saying use wisdom. It, it, one area of life that we must apply wisdom though for success, and that is our speech, how we speak. Your words and my words can literally determine the direction of your, your future and your family. And this is wisdom voiced. Any person who ever teaches on wisdom, by the way, will eventually start talking about words. Because even the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. And it's, some people have said it's the wisdom for the three M's in life. Your money, your morals, and your mouth. And Warren Wiersbe said, the way we use our words is the acid test of wisdom. Look at verse 12 now here. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. A wise person knows the power of words and they use them to bring grace to people and to situations. See, a wise person reads the moment. They, whatever situation they're in, whether they're at home, whether they're with their spouse, whether they're at work, whether they're at school, wherever they are, they look around them and they read the moment and they begin to think, Lord, what can I do? How can I help bring grace into this situation? How can I strengthen and not weaken the moment? How can I help strengthen people? 
and we're always, and, and a wise person's always thinking, Lord, help my words to be gracious. Gracious words are power words in business and in families. And if you speak with grace and wisdom to employees or coworkers or your children, people will be built up. You'll build up everybody around you. And it's amazing when wise people speak with gracious words, they can still be as firm as they need to be and be as honest with people and say what needs to be said. But when they say it with a gracious tone, it's far more effective. And it makes, it hits the mark and it helps people. It helps people lift them uh, no matter where they are. People respect and appreciate honesty given in grace. Here's a question to all of us to consider. Do you ever stop and really listen to the words that you speak in your home? I mean, do you ever really just stop and listen? And do you ever stop and really listen to all the words that are spoken in your home from your children and anybody that you might be in charge of? (laughs) Sometimes I have to reset my own brain. I have to start listening to myself. And I, I realize, man, I just, my tone, what I just said there, the thing I just said, that was horrible. And that, did, that was the opposite of grace. And I need to bring grace into this situation. Man, listening to ourselves. there have also been many times where we as a family will sit down, the entire family, and we, we have to do a reset on everybody's mouth. <laughs> There's been a lot of words flying and a lot, of, a lot of tones that just aren't good in this home and you can just feel the pressure and the, uh, the yuckiness in this house. And it's because of words. Let's, let's change this. The, wa- the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. But as it says here, a fool ruins himself basically with his own words. How? By spouting off whatever comes to mind. Look at verse 13. The beginning of, words, of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is mischievous madness. So you can usually predict with some level of accuracy where a person's life will end up if, by listening to their words. Foolish talk leads to evil and madness. Verse 14, a fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? Plato, the philosopher, said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. And that's what this verse is basically saying. The fool will talk, 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 but he doesn't know what in the world he's talking about. And you can try to tell him what will happen if he keeps going and living the way he's living, but you won't be able to get a word in edgewise. You won't be able to get through. He talks too much and he listens too little. Who can tell him, as it says? And Solomon's point here is that a fool, fools like this are frankly just plain idiots because of their laziness in things that matter. Look at verse 15. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. There's a little joke actually it seems like that Solomon wrote in here. Fools get weary in any work. Uh, they, they just get so tired doing anything. They, so they do it for a little while and they quit. Therefore, they don't know how to do anything, really, because they just quit everything. They don't even know how to get to this big city. That's what they say. They don't, everybody knows how to get to the city. This big city's right there, but no, they don't even know how to get there. In other words, they're complete idiots. Why would anyone want to listen to a person who has no idea what he's talking about? 
Now, this, I'm sorry for this. This is a joke on the cruder side, but it makes the point very well here, okay? So please bear with me. There's a young lady on an airplane, and there's a man next to her, and uh, he sees her reading her Bible. And he, he says to her, listen, he, you know, he, he, he's done with his God stuff, but he's, listen, I'm older than you. If you want to know something about God, just ask me. And she says, do you know why a cow drops patties, a deer drops cubes, and a rabbit drops pellets? He says, hmm, you know, I guess I don't know that. And she says, you're going to tell me about God, and you don't know that? <laughs> Let's keep going, all right? That, that's, that is a fool. That is a fool. And yet, people listen. They don't know nothing about nothing. I knew you'd like that, Tony. Yeah, all right. Number eight, wisdom ignored. Verse 16, <laughs> woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. And this is talking about a fool. <laughs> say, well, wait, we can't eat in the morning? I'll get there. This is talking about a foolish and immature leader who lives for pleasure, just sits around in leisure, eating all morning long, not doing any work. It says, woe to the land if this is your leader. A lazy, immature leader is a curse to a land, to a family, to a church, to a nation. Charles XII became the king of Sweden when he was only a teenager. Was, this was in the late 1600s. His wild behavior is well known. It is, it, he would go with his friends. Some of the things he did was he would ride horseback through his grandmother's apartment. He would knock people to the ground in the city streets for fun. He had practiced firearms by shooting out the windows of the palace. All kinds of crazy stuff. And in response, the preachers of Stockholm all agreed in one particular Sunday to preach from Ecclesiastes 10:16. This verse, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. <laughs> they pronounced woe on the land because of what was going on. We could obviously go on and on with historical examples. I think we all are aware of national leaders who just are immature. But for the sake of time, we'll just say a hearty amen. We understand, Solomon. Childlike, immature leaders running your country causes great woe. And this is what's so baffling, by the way, here in America, because nowadays people actually vote those people in. What a sad situation. But here's the opposite side of that, verse 17. Blessed art thou, O land, and when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So refreshing when the nation has a wise leader. Everyone is blessed when you have a wise leader. Even the wicked people are blessed. They may not even realize it, but they're blessed because of that wise leader. When Joseph became second in charge in Egypt, the whole nation was taken care of, both the righteous and the heathens. Solomon is talking about a leader who cares about others and cares about doing the right thing no matter what. He eats at the appropriate time with the appropriate re for the appropriate reason for strength and not to gorge himself or get drunk. What a blessing it is when we have unselfish leaders in a home or unselfish leaders in a church or unselfish leaders in a nation or in a state. I mean, what a blessing, what a blessing it is when there are unselfish, wise people in charge. It would be good to apply these two verses to our home. So men, if, how are you doing in your leadership and your, as a husband, as a dad? 
Are you more concerned about leading the people in your home with wisdom or fulfilling your own fleshly desires? If you're a son of a noble, as it says here, then keep it up. Keep it up. If you've been doing, if you've been pushing your own desires aside so that you can seek wisdom and bring that family to a place of wisdom, then good job. Keep it up and finish the job all the way to the end. But if you're struggling, then today is a new day. Things can always be turned around. That's the amazing thing. Turn it around. Don't get lazy. Verse 18, by much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. When lazy and foolish people are in charge of a nation or state or home, whatever, it will soon decay and eventually fall apart. He used this building as an, a building as an analogy. You know, leadership and doing wise things for a family or whatever it may be requires constant maintenance. You know, the consequences of foolishness are usually not seen right away. We start making Sunday fun day. We, then we slack on reading our Bibles. We begin digesting a lot of secular entertainment. Pretty soon our spiritual lives start to decay. And it spreads to the whole house. It spreads to people around us, our friends. And then we stop coming to church altogether and we just start living like everybody else. It's a decay. Notice it's a slow situation. Decay is slow. It doesn't all begin at the beginning. You don't see it right away. Ah, it's fine. I can skip that. I can, I can not do that. But pretty soon the house droppeth through. The pain of slothfulness and foolishness always comes later. Always. But now here's what the fool is saying. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter, a wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. I think this verse is talking about the view from a fool's point, point of view here. Just have a good time, laugh, drink, especially go after money, and you'll have everything you could ever want. That's what life is all about. But we've, we've already seen that kind of thinking. And at, here at the end of this section, then Solomon turns to us and gives us a wise warning if you live under a foolish leader like this. Verse 20, curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You've heard the statement, a little birdie told me. That's where this comes from. You might have a leader who is a big fool. But you and me keep doing the right thing. Just keep doing the right thing. You let, you let God handle the king. You let God handle what he's going to handle up there. Remember what Daniel said. God puts people in charge, and he rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomsoever he will. Do not curse the king, not even in your bedchamber, because somehow, in some way, your boss, your leader will hear about it, and you're going to get in trouble. The point is, make it your life mission to always do the wise thing. Just do the wise thing, and let the chips fall where they may. You may get praised for it, or you may not get praised for it. You may get pats on the back, or you may not get any pats on the back that you deserve. You may not even see the results right away. You may, not, you may even get treated badly for doing the right thing. But it's still always better to do the wise thing over the foolish thing. That's what Solomon has made the point. It is always better. We live by faith, not by sight. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to be poised. I'm going to be wise. Let's just do the right thing. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.